Travel Squad podcast. We're four friends that grew up together in the same small town. We followed each other to San Diego, and now we adventure the world together. One passport stamp at a time. We're here to share our travel stories and inspire you to go on your own adventures. Even if it starts with your own backyard. I'm Jamal. Brittany. Kim. And I'm Dana. And And we're we're the Travel Squad podcast. So grab your ticket, your passport, and don't forget your travel insurance. And prepare for takeoff. Hello, fellow travelers. Hey, Hey, everybody. Welcome to episode 40 of the Travel Squad podcast. Today, we are mixing it up a bit, and we're going to be inspiring you to travel in a different way. Today, we want to highlight ways that traveling can change your life and make you a better person, and we're going to prove it to you by sharing some examples from our own lives. Yeah, traveling opens you up to different cultures and people and helps you realize that there aren't many differences that divide us as human beings. I feel like travel broadens your life experiences and it can really make you a better person if you're willing to be open to different cultures and customs. I really love traveling because I'm always looking forward to my next vacation and new adventure because every time that I travel, I grow as a person and I learn something new about a different part of the world. For me personally, I've been traveling since I was 20 by myself in my early 20s. Obviously, now I'm with the squad, but main point being is I experience some of the nicest people out there when I'm traveling. Strangers have treated me like family, have opened their homes to me. Like I can't even say enough good things about the way that people have treated me. And I feel like it's completely opposite from the notion that people are untrustworthy or mean or only care about themselves. Like I think that the world is filled with people who want to help you. So before we get into it, I just want to say, guys, episode 40. 40. Wow. The big four zero. Look at how far we've come. Congratulations, guys. Congratulations. Is this over the hill? 50 will be over the hill. 40 is still knocking on the hill's door. 40 is a new 30. (laughs) (laughs) So getting right into it. First, we're going to talk about cultural experiences and how this can help change who you are as a person when you travel. And it can help you find new foods that you like. Best thing about traveling. Yeah, that's one of the coolest things about traveling, for me at least, is the cultural experience that you get by trying a new cuisine. And here in America, we're very lucky. It's a melting pot of all cultures on earth. So we always get to try different cuisines from all over the globe. However, there's nothing quite like authentic cuisine when you're there. And I feel like there's no better way to truly understand and experience a culture through its food. I mean, like, yeah, we're, we're familiar with pizza and spaghetti that you can have in Italy. But I think like really like the stuff that you didn't even know existed. It's, I don't know. It's just cool that you get to try all these different things that you don't even know exists. And they're so delicious. Yes. So many good foods out there to eat. Yeah, I think one of my favorite things is when we were in Lebanon and we got to try the Meza. And there's just so many different snack foods that we get to try all together. And I love having little bites here and there. So I get to sample everything. And I like to also try traditional food in like traditional places. Like when we were sitting out in the middle of Dubai in the desert, sitting on the Ottomans, having a traditional breakfast, like that was such a cool experience. Chili was bomb, wasn't it? 
It was delicious. <laughs> or how about um, who's the been not de- so chilly chili? <laughs> <laughs> the not so chilly chili in the chilly weather. Yes. I loved how in China too, everything was on a lazy Susan and it was family style. That was an experience that you don't always get in the US, which was nice. I think that really puts it in a good perspective, Kim, on how we can talk about food, having you relate to another culture. Because over there, at least in China, for example, it truly is a family experience. And that's why they have the Lazy Susans. You're all kind of like sharing and that's part of their culture. Family's important. Time with the elders is important. As the example you gave to Lebanon with the Meza all sitting out, like meals are an activity to be with family and friends, whereas here it's just kind of like a routine to do and we're just too busy with hustle and bustle and we don't make time even to sit down as families and have dinner here in the States, you know? So it's a good way to understand their culture and things that they put priority towards through meals. Well, even like China and Lebanon, when you do the shared style, it's different for me because I'm used to having my own meal. But to talk to what you just said, it's a shared experience. Like you don't get your own meal because you're sharing with everyone else. And while we're talking about food, that leads us right into drinks. Like I love going to new countries and trying their country's drink, like the Pisco Sours Mm -hmm. in Peru. When I was in Belize with Nicole, everywhere we went, they had happy hour signs. But really, the only thing on happy hour was their drink, the panty dropper. I don't remember what was in it, but like that's what it was called, the panty dropper. And I'm like, I don't understand why they have a happy hour when it's just half off the panties. (laughs) (laughs) i also really like trying beers from different regions as well as their wines like when we were in montenegro we got to try some of the best montenegrin wine while we were there and it was so delicious or how about in africa we had lagers that were what seven percent for a dollar fifty i mean they were pretty high up there on the (laughs) abv that's for sure yeah. And in Italy, it's actually customary around the 5 or 6 p.m. hour to go to aperitivo, which is where you have some kind of cocktail like an Aperol spritz or something. And they put out a buffet of different finger foods, chips, peanuts. And it's just a social experience that it comes long before dinner, which is usually around 9 p.m. So it's different. It's pretty cool. Question I wanted to ask you is when we were in Lebanon, you were really wanting to try the Iraq. Did you end up trying it yet? I or have you tried opened it. it? I can't wait to hear your reaction about that. It's like really, 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 really strong alcohol. Really can't strong. Wait. It tastes like black <laughs> licorice alcohol. One of my favorite things about other countries is to take home some of their wine or their boozy liquor. Yeah, you have quite the collection at home now. I have this one from Dominican Republic that is tree bark and it's filled in three parts, honey, red wine, and rum. And it makes this marabamba and it's supposed to be an aphrodisiac drink and I can vouch that it is. Wow, look at this. Or when Kim and I went to Cuba, we were able to pick up some Cuban what was it? Rum, I yes. think it was. Yes. So I got some for you and Brittany. And then I also bought a bottle of Cuban wine, which looks like just kind of, I haven't opened it and I won't drink it, but it's really there just for show because it doesn't look. Looks like Coca-Cola. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure it's great. But how cool because Cuba had been closed for trade for so long. So to get something from Cuba that no one else has, just like how cool. Moving on to the next experience is customs. There's a lot of new customs that you're going to experience in different cultures and countries. 
I love greetings in different countries. Like I love that in Lebanon, you have to do three kisses on each cheek. Or one, not on two, each three. Cheek, but you alternate cheeks and you go one, two, three. Brittany learned you, the hard way. On the third kiss, do not go in for the makeout. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so fun story. Shout out to Walid, who is Jamal and Zena's cousin. He comes to visit the United States quite often. So one of the last times he was in the United States, not the last time, but one of the last times he was here, we were greeting each other. And you start the kissing on the right-hand side. So you go in for the right, then you go in for the left. And then I thought, is he going to go in for a third or is he just going to go in for two? So I stopped and he went in for the other one and we kind of met halfway and we locked lips. <laughs> Lucky you. But you know what's really funny about that though, minus the, the story of you kissing my cousin on the lips, is in other Middle Eastern countries, they only do the two, but Lebanon's one of the few that does the three. So it's like one of those things that you learn really as you go. And each country has their own different culture. And, you know, I mentioned other Middle Eastern countries, it's two. France, for example, it's like the two kiss just as well. So Kim loves to learn to say cheers. That's my favorite thing because every language, every culture has a way to say cheers. Obviously, we say cheers in the US. In some other Asian countries, they'll say mabuhai or in Arabic, it's zahatkon. Salute. Salute in Spanish, salute in Italian or chin chin in Brazil and Italy sometimes. It's just, it's amazing. I love it. How do you say it in Dubai? <laughs> It'd be the same as in Lebanon in Arabic. <laughs> They don't drink in Dubai. Yeah, good answer, Kim. <laughs> Kim nailed it on the head. <laughs> so also along with that, you're going to be learning a lot of new traditions that you might not have been exposed to. Yeah, like one of them, for example, is taking off your shoes when you enter the home. Now, I'm sure some of us have come into some places and some friends' homes in the United States where they do that. I'm not going to lie, Brittany and I's home is one of them. I don't wear shoes in the house, so everyone takes them off. But most people in the United States, it's not really a thing. But you go to a lot of foreign countries, and that really is a thing. And it's also a cultural thing because shoes clearly are dirty on the floor. And so you don't want to bring in dirt from the outside as a guest and disrespect somebody's home. So it's a cultural thing and a sign of respect to take off your shoes. Mm-hmm. In a lot of Asian cultures, they use squatty potties. And so you're wearing your shoes in the bathrooms, around the toilets, you're squatting down. And so they want you to take off your shoes when you go into their home because shoes are considered really, really dirty. I had one friend at work tell me, because I had my purse on the ground, and she's like, oh, no, 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 don't put your purse on the ground. Because in her culture, it's bad because your money is in your purse and putting it on the ground is kind of like just no good. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So it really made me think twice now where I put my purse because I don't want it on the ground. Another tradition that you may come across and learn is accepting coffee when it's offered to you. You know, if you're in someone's home or like out and about, it's considered rude to say no to an offer, more particularly in the Middle East, especially when we were in Lebanon. So a lot of little things where here in the United States, you know, if you go to someone's home and they offer you coffee, you know, you could say no and it's no skin off the other person's back. They're like, okay, but in other cultures, it's rude to turn down something that's offered to you. In fact, it's like a little bit of a dance because they'll ask you, do you want coffee? And the answer is no. And then they're going to ask, are you sure? Do you, you don't want coffee? And then the answer is yes. So <laughs> like it's, you know, don't accept right off the bat, but then go in for it. And so I remember at one point we were at one of our... Uh, 
um, aunt and uncle's house and everyone said no. And then she looked at me and she's like, you don't want coffee? And then I was like, okay, I'll take some coffee. (laughs) (laughs) And in other countries, they often take like a siesta or they'll be closed between lunch and dinner, which in my honest opinion, I think the U.S. needs more of. That's what this country needs. It's more siestas. (laughs) In France, they didn't really take siestas, but there was a long gap, like from, I would say, two to like six or seven, they would be closed at restaurants. Like you couldn't get a bite to eat anywhere. In Italy, the same. Between like those hours, two Mm -hmm. to like six or seven. That's a long nap. I truly think people would be happier if they napped every day. I think so too. Oh my gosh. See, but that's another cultural thing. You know, they have that in Spain, but I feel like they don't have that here in the United States because the United States is all about the mindset of productivity and we got to work and it's hustle and bustle. Whereas, you know, the tradition of the siesta is more, they live a more relaxed and easy lifestyle. And not to say that they don't work hard, but they enjoy the little things. So it's like, okay, yeah, to go home three hours from work to take a nap and have a late meal and then come back, you know, that's like normal to them. And that's Mm -hmm. just their easygoing lifestyle. Yeah, in France and other European countries, it's actually pretty customary to take that long lunch and meet up with your family or friends and have lunch with somebody, read on your lunch break, just very much de-stress. More personal time. Yes, and it's prioritized which is amazing. And dinner there is much, much later. Like dinner doesn't usually start until like seven or eight at the earliest. I was going to say you're still giving an early time. I would say like eight thirty, nine o'clock. Uh-huh. But I mean, it depends on where you are. But well, that's true. In the United States, it can start as early as like 435. Brittany's giving her grandma dinner times over here <laughs> that she likes to have. Love dinner at five o'clock. Oh, see, even now I already eat around like seven or eight o'clock. I just, I feel like I just get home later. So yeah, just for me though, you know, I always think going out late to eat, that's something you do like on a date night here or that I'll do with Brittany, but over there, that's just the norm, like eating late and it's what they do. And it's probably because they have that midday siesta and they've taken a nap and had a late lunch. And so it's just, again, part of the culture and it makes it unique and exciting. Another fun tradition like especially in the Middle East is fighting for the bill. We saw so much of this on our last trip to the Middle East. You know, at some point you just got to concede and let the other person pay because you're being rude to not let them. But you can't just like not fight for it. You got to you, you got to put up the fight. Yeah, you got to put some skin in the game. It's it was wh- actually hilarious to see Jamal every time they tried to do something or get the bill. He Honestly, it's too much. Honestly, we're fine. We're full. You're being too kind. Let me get it. And he's like, no, 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 I got it. Well, even as guests, they don't want you. <laughs> you to pay but even if you're not like a guest and living over there locally you know you go out to dinner even if someone invites you it's that fight it's like the song and dance routine you know you no one truly really wants to pay but if you pay (laughs) it's the pleasure but you just got to kind of put up that fight of hospitality like oh yeah let me i want the bill i want the whereas here if someone offers to take it like okay (laughs) let's do it or let's venmo each other you know over there you know it's a sign of courtesy to fight and want to do it and be hospitable over there, if you invite someone to dinner, it is your responsibility to pay versus in the United States. If you invite people to dinner, everyone just kind of shows up and then like often the bill split. Occasionally people will pay for each other, but there I feel no one's really splitting the bill. Well, Kim and I learned that one in Cuba when we had met some people and we're like, yeah, you should come to dinner with us. And to us, it was like, yeah, come, you know, like we'll all go together. And they were ready to cry because they were so touched. And that's the moment that we realized, oh shit, we just invited them to dinner and we haven't had dinner yet in Cuba, so we don't even know what prices are. And yet they're crying. How much are we going to be paying? 
But yeah, I mean, at some point you do got to let them pay though, because it's rude not to. So after you eat, what do you want to do next? Go to the bathroom. I don't know if that's what I want to do right, right away. It may happen, but yeah, going to the bathroom is one of those things. That was my best attempt at a segue. Bathrooms around the world will change your life. It'll make you really appreciate being here in the United States. One of the main things, too, is, and we've touched upon it on other episodes, it's so shocking because it's something we're so used to here, but in other countries, you just don't flush toilet paper down the toilet. They don't use toilet seat covers either they do not in any other yeah you country. won't find toilet seat covers or anything like that and depending on what country you're at you may find a toilet without a toilet seat at all i don't remember there being toilet seat covers in chicago that's the united states but that's i mean wild. i guess it's another culture too right like the southern culture versus like the, midwest. the midwest versus like the west okay but uh-huh. you know if you go to a public restroom in the united states 90 percent of the time you're gonna have a toilet seat cover not in chicago well I, that's why i said 90 <laughs> <laughs> they're the 10 percent. but yeah no it's so true that you know you do have a lot of the squatty potties even when we were at the airport in dubai when we were getting ready to board our flight to London and then London to San Diego, I went to the restroom and there was three in there and two were being used. And then there was one open and I went to the open one and found that it was a squatty. I remember when we went to Africa as well, and we were in Zimbabwe, one of them was a squatty potty and the other ones were just traditional Western style sitting toilets. Mm -hmm. And I remember being in Lebanon when I was 11 and Jamal was 10 and one of our aunts and uncles, their bathroom is a squatty. You know, that's the way that the house was designed. And my mother was preparing Jamal and I for that and just teaching us how to use it. I perfected the squat in China. My God. But like not only squatty potties, aren't there weird bathrooms where they have the bowl, but they don't have a seat? And you're like, that's what I said earlier. Some bathrooms will have a toilet without a toilet seat on it. It's weird. That's the worst thing ever. I might as well squat. I would prefer that (laughs) than having the toilet without the toilet seat. Okay, no judgments. So the toilets without a toilet seat, who's actually sat on that thin rim? I've never sat on it. I will always wipe the rim and put toilet paper down. So just in case I touch a little bit, it's at least on the toilet paper. You sat on it, didn't you? No, not full full on sit. I'm afraid my butt's going to go straight into the bowl. (laughs) I've never sat on one of those. That is absolutely horrendous. So (laughs) have you ever gone to the bathroom in the middle of the night when the toilet seat was up and actually kind of fell in a little bit? No. No, I have not. Apparently you have, Kim, if that's your question. Well, you you have some character to be building over here. Have you done that in the United States or while traveling? Um, Both. (laughs) In other countries, they have bidets in their bathroom. So like in... Lebanon or Dubai, they actually have the physical bidets. And in Japan, they have the toilet seats that will shoot the water onto you from the toilet instead. And in the Philippines, they typically have hoses that are connected to the toilets to use as like their version of a bidet. I mean, I remember when we first got to Japan and we get off the airplane and go through customs, now we need to use the restroom. So I go to the bathroom and They have warm toilet seats and I look over to the right and they have the buttons for the water to squirt out and hit you to clean you. So I hit it and 
I'm like, wow, this is really nice. This is really nice. And I'm thinking that you hit it once and then it just gives you a quick stream and then it stops. So I'm sitting there and it won't stop. And finally it kind of gets awkward because I'm like, oh my gosh, this is so much water cleaning me down there. And then I realize that they have an off button. So I'm like, oh, so I turn it off and then, you know, like go wash my hands. And I'm telling Brittany, I didn't know there was a stop. And she's like, me neither. You know, it's really (laughs) funny about those Japanese toilets, which by the way, after being to Japan, I really want one of those. I'm willing to pay $1,000 for a toilet like that. I'm not even going to lie. But what's really cool about them, at least for the girls, it makes no difference to me as a guy, but they have a button for, is it for the front or is it for the back? I was just going to say that. It adjusts. <laughs> yeah. So depending on what side you need cleaned as a girl, you know, they have a button front or back. Uh, really, really interesting. But it just goes to show not that we're unhygienic here in the United States, but some other cultures, they really take their hygiene seriously when it comes to going to the restroom. I mean, they also have specific bathrooms in Japan where you can turn on the dryer because after all that water squirts you down there then, you know, you want to dry. And so there's a button to dry. And then next thing you know, there's a nice hot jet of air <laughs> right on you. <laughs> All this bathroom talk is making me have to go. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's never something I thought I'd hear you say on the podcast, Kim. P, I mean, oh, okay. because I don't poop, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> hey, squaddies, we want to share one of our favorite travel products with you. Liquid IV is a category winning hydration brand fueling your well-being while traveling. One stick fits into 16 ounces of water to give you three times the electrolytes of traditional sports drinks and hydrates you two times faster than water alone. Their half-ounce hydration multiplier powder packet is the one product you need in every suitcase, carry-on, and day pack. We use it while flying on planes because flights can be so dehydrating. We use it when we feel jet-lagged, when we're out on a hike, and after a long night out that has us feeling worn out. In just one stick, you get five essential vitamins, B3, B5, B6, B12, and vitamin C. Liquid IV also now comes in 12 delicious and refreshing flavors to keep your hydration routine exciting. Our favorites are the lemon-lime and tangerine with immune support. It's made with premium ingredients, all non-GMO and gluten, dairy, and soy-free. Get 20% off when you go to liquidiv.com and use Travel Squad Podcast at checkout. That's 20% off anything you order when you shop better hydration today using promo code Travel Squad Podcast at liquidiv.com. Hey, squaddies, let's take a quick detour to talk about our travel itineraries that we've created just for you. We just launched several new international trip itineraries, including Tulum and Japan. This is on top of the itineraries we already have for U.S. trips like the Hawaiian Island of Kauai, the U.S. Virgin Islands, as well as national park trip itineraries including Utah's Mighty Five National Parks and a week at Grand Teton and Yellowstone. These fully built out 20 to 30 page PDF guides are available for instant download on our site right now. Every detail of the trip is laid out for you. So all you have to do is download, book, show up and have fun. The itineraries tell you where to fly into, the exact route to take, where to stay, park entrance prices, where to eat, driving distance between attractions, the things to see and do, Even the hikes we recommend, their mileage, and the time to allot for each one. And believe it or not, so much more. Be sure to head over to TravelSquadPodcast.com to download your very own comprehensive travel itinerary today. There are some other ways that travel can change your physical health and wellness. Some of the things that 
I find with travel and that most people who travel can agree is that it lowers your stress. I think that having a work-life balance and getting out of town and experiencing new cultures, immersing yourself outside of work and giving yourself that separation from work really lowers your stress levels and just like being in another place and just enjoying yourself, like living. Life is meant to be lived and that's what you're doing when you're traveling. Yeah, I agree with what you're saying, Kim. That's one thing too, like travel is one big mental health vacation in and of itself. It just gives you time to recharge, relax. And I know there's always the saying, you need a vacation from your vacation when you return, which to an extent is true. And sometimes it's go, go, go. But you always get to kind of enjoy just the little things. And even though it can be stressful in the terms of time constraints, want to do it all, I really do feel that it is a good mental health reprieve to just relax, not have to worry truly about work or everyday things and so, so liberating. And you know, I like having my phone on vacation, but sometimes it's nice when you go on a vacation and you don't have cell service and you're just off the grid for a while and you just have to be like in that experience and you're not consumed by your phone. You're not concerned by work emails or anything else that's going on. You just get to live in that moment and experience everything to the fullest. It just is so nice. Oh, at my nine to five before vacation, I'm so stressed out trying to get everything done. I'll stay late just to finish things up. And I'm worried about this and I'm worried about that. As soon as I walk out the door, just out of sight, out of mind. And it's just so nice to be away from all of that. I mean, I love my job. I'm not saying that in a negative way, but you know what I mean? To just like be away from it and let go of everything that you're worrying about because someone else is going to handle it. Yep. And once you come back from vacation, it allows you to come back to work refreshed, see things through new eyes. You're not as stressed. There was not all that buildup. So you're you're happier. Everyone else feels that vibe around you. They're asking about your vacation. They tell you that they're living vicariously through your travels and you benefit from it. And it's just such a great way to come back to work refreshed after so much stress day in, day out with your normal nine to five. So question for you guys, who has come back from vacation and has been told, you look so great, you look so refreshed, you look so tanned, oh my gosh, you lost weight, fill you know, in the blank. I don't really notice that because people tell me that every day. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I, I wish. That all the time. I always you look so tan beautiful. <laughs> you look so skinny. You look so tan. I'm like, oh, thank you, thank you, thank you. Like, keep it coming. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So this section is all about the physical and the wellness. So one thing about physical is your dressing and your wardrobe. So let's talk about how that is going to be different when you are traveling. So one, you're probably going to be covering up in specific holy places, such as churches in Venice that Jamal and Brittany went to and Brittany tried to slide on in. Didn't get through. I got caught. Had she got caught and she had to pay a couple euros to put on a little robe because Brittany wasn't dressed appropriately. Temples in Thailand, they gave me robes to wear. Dubai, they have signs to make sure that you're, you know, hey, dress respectfully. Well, that's even in public. But even on top of that, if you were to try to go into a mosque, you would need to cover up, you know, if you're a woman, things like that. So definitely, regardless of where you go or what faith it's associated with, whether it be Buddhism, Catholicism, Christianity, Islam, Judaism, it's always a general rule of thumb. You're going to be dressed and have to dress respectfully 
in and around the holy areas and temples, churches, mosques, etc. So it teaches you to dress more respectfully, a little more conservatively sometimes, but also like you take the fashion and the flair of the places that you're coming from. So in Italy, leather jackets and leather clothing is really big. So I brought back a leather jacket from Italy or sometimes when people go to Asian countries or African countries, they're bringing back some of the clothing and some of the dress and style from those areas. Or jewelry. Zena often brings back jewelry. Mm -hmm. That. And then when I used to live in Lebanon in my early 20s, I bought a whole bunch of purses. And these are purses that you don't have in the United States. They were pretty extra. And I loved them. And they were me. And so when I came back to the States, everyone would always make comments about them because it was so unique. So moving along, there's so many benefits to traveling. For example, making new friends when you travel. We often talk about Kasha and Ryan, who we met when we were on a tour to China, and we still keep in touch with them and hang out with them. They actually went to Hot Springs National Park with us. They went to Japan with Zaina, Jamal, and I. So they're good friends. When we hiked the Inca Trail, we met friends while we were there. We went and saw Jen and David in Colorado after we had come back. And I know you've met friends too, Kim, along your travels. I have. And we really shouldn't downplay this. This is one of the biggest things about travel that will change your life and that has changed our life and affected our lives is the people that you meet while you're traveling. You make these friends while you're there. And that's amazing. But then when you actually take these friendships and continue them on for months and years to come and you haven't seen them in months and you reconnect in another destination, like there is like a magic about that, that you only make those connections with people that you meet while traveling. And it's it's like a friendship that it's on another level. Yeah. My friend Isel, the one that went with us to Cuba, Kim and I to Cuba. I met her, gosh, in 2008 when I was traveling. We probably hung out just a few times over the course of a week. And then I went back home and we've always stayed in touch. And then we ended up living together in Lebanon, not like roommate style, but like at the same time there in Lebanon. And we were just like such good friends. And I still talk to her all the time. Last week we Skyped over the weekend. So it's just such a connection that you make with these people because you're sharing experiences that you can't share with other people back home. Even with Layla, like you met her going to AUB, which is the American University of Beirut. You guys were both there for your travel abroad or your year abroad. And then she got married and stayed there. But I always went back and like I always hang out with her and I still talk to her all the time. And you've talked about her ever since I've known you pretty much. And when we got to meet her, it was like when you guys got to connect and see each other after not seeing each other for what? 10 years at least? Yeah, well, I did see her in San Diego a few years prior, but still, it's the same thing. That was like the first time in eight years, and it's like no time has passed. Yeah, it was just like you guys reconnected, and no time was lost at all. No awkward silences at all. There's other people that I do know here in uh, San Diego that I have more awkward silences, because there was no awkward silences with her. (laughs) (laughs) Kim, you've also fallen in love in another country. Oh, yeah. I love collecting boyfriends around the world. One of my favorite souvenirs. Different bros and different area codes, Kim. Oh, yeah, Do you have baby. a favorite boyfriend abroad? My favorite abroad boyfriend will always be Marco in Peru. Marco. First my love. first, yeah. I love first him. love. Love first him. travel love. Well, first international love. <laughs> 
Hey, Linda. <laughs> For all of you out there, Linda in Spanish means beautiful. So when someone says, hey, Linda, they're saying, hey, beautiful. But we forgot that that means beautiful in Spanish. So Kim was like, hey, my name's Kim. <laughs> my grandma's name is Linda. So that's another thing that you get when you travel is you get to learn another language. You get to express love and gratitude and appreciation in other languages. And that is beautiful. Yeah. And making these friendships, you also see how positive the world is and how people just want to help. Like even if these are friends that you make along the way and you continue to travel with them, keep in touch or talk, but even just strangers that you come across, you know, they're not friends that you're going to keep for life or you'll only see them there but you just value those connections because they want to help you out. And if you were in the situation, you would want to help them out. It's almost like a community in and of itself of just travelers and just that appreciation of what it is that we're all doing, even though we're on different paths and we're connecting at this moment in time. It's just really weird to describe, but like when you experience it, you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. You also realize the value of connections. Like for me, I once went to Europe on my own. I bought a one-way ticket and thought, oh, I'll just figure it out. But I knew someone in Denmark, so I hit him up. I stayed with him for two weeks. And then from there, I went to Amsterdam and I knew someone there and she helped me out. And she even hooked me up with a free place to stay. And then I knew someone when I went to Paris. So I was able to hang out with a friend from Lebanon who was now in Paris. So it's just more of like, if you know someone, reach out and tell them that you're going to be in the area. And, you know, don't ask for anything, but just tell them that you're going to be in the area. And you'll be surprised that like just how excited someone is is that you're going to be in the area and how much they want to help out and just be able to do something for you. Another benefit as well is just all the stories that you're now able to share with other people. Like for me personally, when people meet me and I talk about how many countries I've been to or, you know, the places that I've traveled to, it immediately puts me in a position of interest to this person. Because more often than not, most of the people I meet have not traveled as much as I have. So people are just so curious and interested and they have questions and it gives you a great conversation piece to talk about with other people. So yeah, travel is always a great conversation starter. Everyone wants to know about your trips. If you've been before and they have an upcoming trip, they want to know tips and tricks too. So it's a great conversational piece. It not only makes you more interesting, but when you meet someone and start talking to them and they've been to the same place that you have, then you also form a connection with that person. It's like, oh, you went to the full moon party in Thailand. So did I. And then you have something to talk about. You like feel like you know each other on a different level because you've both had this experience, even though you may not have had it at the same time or with each other. It's like a, I don't know, some kind of bond that you don't have with everyone. I was going to say that reminds me a lot like when I come across people, which is very few, but you do, who have said that they've hiked the Inca Trail because that's something to do. Not a lot of people do it and it's quite a unique experience. So even though like I may not know this person or meet them for the first time, you feel that instant connection with them that you guys have shared the same thing. And to an extent, you guys know each other, know something about each other, even though it's not on a personable level, but it's on a shared experience level. I remember reading this one article and it was talking about how, let's say, you know, you are standing in line here in California. You would never really talk to the person next to you because 
they're just a stranger. But then let's say you find yourself in Germany, just another country, and then you meet someone from Arkansas. And immediately you have a connection because you guys are both from the United States, whereas beforehand in the United States, you guys would have never talked to each other. And then imagine being in that same line in Germany and finding out someone is from California or someone is from your city. You know, it's just it's such a small world. So when you do travel and you find someone from your country or your state or your city, then you immediately have something in common with this person that you would have never had in common in your actual state. I remember when I was in Thailand, it's a lot of Australians and people from the UK who are traveling there. So it was actually pretty rare to hear an American accent. And when we did, it was exactly that. It was like, oh my gosh, you're from America. Where do you live? And like, we instantly had a connection because of that reason alone. And isn't it so funny? You would never talk to that person otherwise in the United States. (laughs) (laughs) True. Moving on, another benefit of travel and how it's going to change your life is the mental and psychological aspects that you gain from travel. Travel has made me so much more resourceful. I have learned so much while traveling. I've learned how to travel independently, figure out my own schedule, how to get from point A to point B with like limited cell service or public transportation. And it just makes you so much more responsible and independent and you learn to trust yourself so much more when you've traveled the world individually or with just a small group you just know that wow look what I can handle so you just feel like on top of the world that you can handle anything yeah the first international trip that I did a lot of the planning for was hiking the Inca Trail and being in Cusco Peru that was probably like the first time I've really planned an international trip and I think it went off pretty well Jamal Prior to that, had done most of the organization for us. And then when we were in Japan, gosh, how many of us were there? There was seven of us. And I planned pretty much, I would say, 95% of that trip by myself for seven people. And it's just like, my God, I'm so independent and so responsible. And you just feel like you can really figure it out and get around without much help of anyone else. You know, it seems really silly talking about like planning a trip and Brittany over here sounding like she's pulled up her big girl panties and you know, like, oh, I've accomplished she's it. So responsible. No, I know, but it's she's really, growing up so fast. it's really silly until you've actually planned something like that and have to figure out, oh, okay, like I'm here in this country. How does the transportation work? What do I got to take? How do I get from point A to point B, et cetera, et cetera. It's a lot of research. One, it's a lot of work and it just gives you that confidence as an everyday basic life skill that you could either bring to your normal profession at work or even you as a person as just like, okay, I did this and I can actually relate this to my everyday life and apply it here and just make you a better person in that way as well. Yeah. I mean, I remember being in, um, I was going through Europe. This is 2010. So about 10 years ago and I change of plans. So that's fine. I adapted very quickly, but through those change of plans, it dropped me off at a train station in Southern Germany. And I was trying to get to Stuttgart, Germany. Now this was such a small town that no one really spoke English because I was trying to figure out what train do I want to get on because their machines were German only. And I don't speak German. And I'm like, oh my gosh, how do I know where I'm going? How do I know what to buy? And so I went to local stores and I was asking if anyone spoke English because I needed help. No one spoke any English. So even if they wanted to help me, really they couldn't. And so 
finally I went back to the train station and I tried my hardest to figure it out. And you know what? I figured it out. I don't know what happened. I don't know what I did. Probably someone helped me, but you're so resourceful and you have to figure it out. There's no sitting down thinking I can't do it because that's not an option. Failure is not an option in travel. (laughs) (laughs) Just got to persist and do it. There's some variation of a famous quote that goes something along the lines of, you don't know your own strength until you're forced to be that strong. And this is the same thing with travel. Like you have to figure it out. So you do. And then you realize you can do it. And it's very empowering. Yeah. I also think that it really teaches you how to not be so dependent on your phone. Brittany was talking about this earlier when you're not having cell service and how it's nice to disconnect. But along with being empowered, it shows you that you don't need your phone for every little thing. You don't need to Google this. You don't need to search on Yelp for the best restaurant. You can simply walk around and find it. Talk to people. Ask for restaurant recommendations. Like Talk to the locals. Look at the signs. Yeah. One of the best examples is when Kim and I were in Cuba, there was no internet whatsoever. And so even when you're staying at Airbnbs, it's not like you go into someone's house and they have internet. Even the locals don't have internet in their house. You have to buy phone cards and you have to go to an internet park. Yes, that is right. Park outside. That's where people go to use Wi-Fi on their Wi-Fi cards. So there we are a week in Cuba and we didn't use our phones except to take pictures. And it's a completely different experience when you're sitting down with people and you can't use your phones and you're really forced to have conversations. And it was just such an interesting experience. And Kim, I think like she said it best. I forgot what it was that you said, but basically like, wow, life is really nice when you don't have your phone. (laughs) Mm-hmm. Along those same lines of not having your phone and realizing what you can do without it, travel in general, for me at least, I know that when I travel, it makes me feel like anything is possible. Oh, I want to go ride camels in Dubai. Done. I'm doing it. I want to go to Italy and walk amongst these Roman ruins. Boom, it's done. It's like things feel closer and not so unattainable as if like you're here, like it seems so far away, so much work, so expensive. When you actually do it, it feels like you can and you are. And and, and that translates into other parts of your life too. It also broadens your options and possibilities of what you can do in the world. So you can um, have job opportunities abroad. I personally, I went to school abroad. I did have an opportunity to work abroad as well, but I didn't do it because the pay was so low. But in hindsight, I wish I took the job because even though the pay was low, I would get a lot more out of it just being able to practice my language skills in that country. So that's a little bit of a regret of mine, but just there's so much opportunity and possibilities. And when you learn a new language, it opens you up to a new world. The way that people can express things, sometimes it's just even more beautiful than in English. And just, I I mean, I can't even describe it. It's just a completely different world when you speak another language. Yeah. And also traveling is a really, really humbling experience. And one of the most humbling ways I can describe it is, you know, you're in another country, you come back home and to an extent, you really just see how different things are than here in the United States. Now, I'm not going to sit here and say some aspects of traveling outside of the United States and certain cultural norms I don't find to be more intriguing and better. But when you come back here and you really see 
all the luxuries and amenities we have and what homes look like compared to other people's homes. And not that their homes are bad, they're just not built at such a grand scale as here in the United States. They don't have all the options to like different cars. You know, it's like consumerism galore over here, which is nice and we like those things. But then you see the simplicity that people have over there and live by and they embrace the simple lifestyle because that's what they have versus what we have over here. So it's really just humbling to see how other people live and how it creates their mindset and who they are as a people and a culture. Yeah. I mean, listen to our Inca trail episode. I cried in that one when I was talking about when we said thank you to our porters on the Inca trail. And I cried there as well. Like it just really opens your eyes to just the opportunities that you have available to you in your own home country that a lot of other people don't have. And like when we were in East Watini, we got to see what their traditional huts look like. It was just so humbling to see how they lived. But also it was so nice to see how happy they were and how they are a community and they live through their like song and their dance and their extracurricular activities where home life is important, but their community is so much more important than just themselves. So another thing that's going to change you through travel is it's going to help you bust through barriers. What do we mean by that? Several things. One, I just want to say age isn't a barrier. And what I mean by that is anybody could travel at any age. And I'm not saying people that are seriously ill can go out. But just as a reference to our friends that we talked about that we made on the Inca Trail, Jen and David, they're an older couple. And a lot of their trips are hiking trips. I mean, we met them on the Inca Trail. They're definitely older. I think they were celebrating one of them turning 50. Yeah. And then very recently, we just saw them and they were posting photos too about a, what was it? Five, six day hike through the Alps in Europe, starting in Chamonix, France, working to Switzerland, Switzerland or something like that, like five days. And they're out there hiking all on their own and coming across little bed and breakfasts along the way. And it's like age is no barrier to exploring the world and traveling if you want to make it a priority and you want to do it, which they do. And it's really inspiring for me, somebody younger to be like, wow, I need to keep up with that when I'm that age and be doing that. I was 20 years old when I traveled by myself for the first time. You can do it at any age, young or old. You know, I often hear when people ask me if I'm married, I always say yes. Then their next question is, do you have kids? And I always say no. And I typically follow that with, I like to travel. And everyone says, yeah, you should travel now because you can't travel later with kids. But when we do travel, we do see families traveling with their kids. And it's just so inspiring to see that they're busting through those barriers that you can travel with kids. Additionally, my dad and mom moved from Guam to the United States with a 12-year-old, a 2-year-old, and a newborn. So you can move with kids. Jamal, your family moved to, what, Saudi Arabia? I was two weeks old when I took my first flight. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but those are barriers like people don't see that you, you can move with kids, you can travel with kids. And traveling just is going to broaden who you are so much more. And people see all of those stereotypes and get intimidated, but stereotypes shouldn't intimidate. Yeah, you know, I honestly, and again, none of us here have kids to say otherwise, but I feel like the people who say travel now before you have kids, 
are people who really haven't actually traveled because a lot of people that I know that travel that have kids take their kids with them. And as a reference, somebody who works in my building, she's actually the property manager for the building. She's definitely an older lady. Her son, married, has children. I can't tell you how many times I talk to her and she tells me about the travels of her son. Like, oh, they just went to Fiji for Christmas and they take their child along with them. And they're always traveling and they have a little girl who's five years old. So it's definitely doable. But my favorite thing about traveling is busting through stereotypes because it really opens your eyes to how we see things in a bubble where we live. And I'm not just saying this as Americans, anybody who's listening to this podcast in another country, we see the world through the lens in which we live in. And you go to other countries and you realize that all stereotypes aren't necessarily true. I mean, yes, they may have came from somewhere and have maybe a tinge or hint of truth to it, but that's a rarity, whereas most stereotypes aren't true, such as? Well, we just came back from Lebanon and that was, well, it still is one of the worst economic crises that they're facing. And we were there when riots were taking place, when a new government had been announced. So there was a lot of uproar and a huge uprising and revolution going on right now, but it was safe because the riots were only happening in a certain part of town and you knew where it was going to happen and before it was going to happen because it was posted. Well, even beyond just that, talking about Lebanon being in the Middle East or even Dubai, you know, you have the misconception that, oh, they're really conservative countries, ultra-religious, and not to say that some people there aren't, but... Lebanon's a Middle Eastern country where women don't have to cover up, for example. You know, there's an even majority like Christians to Muslims. So just because you hear certain places and they have this mentality or you think they're ultra conservative doesn't necessarily make it true. Another stereotype that we always like to myth bust is Mexico. And it's one of our favorites because it's right here at our southern border. You know, I I live three miles away from it. And Mexico is a major stereotype that gets busted. No, we're not saying that like it's 100% safe, but there are certain areas that are going through crisis and there's a lot of areas that are not. I mean, I feel like that's anywhere in the United States, too, is like there are so many different neighborhoods that you shouldn't walk through and no one talks about them when they're traveling to the United States. Like if you stay safe and you stay out of those unsafe regions, you're going to be fine. The other bust through barrier that we want to talk about is that it just makes you more educated on the world history. I learned so much about world history and Arab history when we were on this latest trip to Lebanon. Like so much stuff that I never learned in school. I would never really get the knowledge that I did without having been there and hearing it from the people that I heard it from there. Yeah, even, you know, Kim's using Lebanon as an example. It's a good one. But any country you go to and go to a tour, like even as an example, Brittany and I's latest European trip when we were on the Adriatic coast in Europe, when we went to Croatia, Slovenia, Montenegro, they all used to be one country, had a civil war, broke up. And you hear about it in the news because it was relatively recent, you know, at the time that we were alive. They seldom teach it in the history books. And if they do, it's not in depth. But when you really hear local talk about it or you're on a tour, like you really just get a better understanding. 
And my favorite thing is, and like I said, you know, on the last subject, when we were talking about myth busting, you know, certain stereotypes or misconceptions of other places, we truly see things through the lens in which we live. And when you travel, you're able to see it through another person's lens. Now, it doesn't mean that it's right or wrong from your lens or theirs, but at least gives you that open mindedness to see their perspective and where they're coming from and understand their human emotion behind a way they believe, think or feel. Another thing, too is like when you guys came back from your Eastern European vacation, when we were doing the podcast, that was the first time that Kim and I were hearing about it. And Kim made the comment, did you know Mother Teresa is from Albania? And I said, no shit. I had no idea. I grew up hearing about Mother Teresa, seeing Mother Teresa, all that stuff. But you didn't know, wow, she comes from Albania, like fascinating stuff. Yeah, I learned so much when I travel. I'm going to be 100% honest, world history and any history in general, those are not my subjects. I am terrible at history. I just feel like they're just a whole bunch of facts on a piece of paper with some dates applied to them. (laughs) Not my subject at all. It's just a whole bunch of dates and some facts thrown on a piece of paper. But when you're there and you're walking through ruins or when you see artifacts or you're learning about famous people that come from those places, I really absorb it and it resonates with me. And those are things I'm not going to forget. So I learned so much more about world history when I travel. Any other final thoughts, ladies, on how travel has changed you or you feel it will change our listeners? I feel like a lot of this stuff, until you travel, it just makes a lot more sense once you do. You really, really, really understand where this is coming from. And it just really enriches your soul. And we can't express that enough or encourage you enough to go out and explore the world and realize how small it really is. Very well said. Yeah, for me, I would just want to say like truly traveling will make you a global citizen. Not that we're still not going to be proud of where we come from and our own countries and have that sort of pride, but it just really makes you a global citizen. And the first segment when we were talking about just cultural differences and going over those little things that we didn't really touch about how that will change you, but it goes back to what you were saying, Zana, like once you have that experience, you'll understand what we mean by those little things and how from those you can really understand the people and their culture and it just gives you greater appreciation for what you're seeing what you're experiencing Mm -hmm, exactly so i don't know guys i'm just i'm so grateful for our experiences collectively as a group and the fact that we do what we do all right guys all right ladies i think it's that time is it it is okay question 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 Of the week. week. Yeah. I'm liking our little acapella going into it. We got a nice little flow now. First question we have is what's a great travel location that you've been to that you feel is underrated or that not many people go to? Lebanon. It's a good one. I'm going to agree with that and probably maybe slightly biased opinion because we are Lebanese and by we, I mean me and Zaina. But at the same time, we just got back from this trip. It's fresh on my mind, but it truly definitely is a very underrated location. And no bias whatsoever, man. Seriously, it really is that great. I had a great time. And I know you ladies had a great time when we were there too. Yeah, we did. Another place I would say is Slovenia. I had a really, really great time. It had so much natural beauty. I just don't hear people talk about it a lot. Lake Blood is beautiful. And I would even say another travel location I've been to that I feel is underrated is the Philippines. Like people talk about wanting to go there, but not a lot of people actually go. I also think Arkansas is very underrated. 
That's Ooh, a good one. Way to pull one. one from our backyard here in the United mm-hmm. States. Arkansas was beautiful I and very nice. I loved Arkansas. It was a hoot. It was a hoot. <laughs> it was a hoot. One that I keep pushing on you guys that we haven't gone just yet, but Cyprus. Oh, let me guess. Oh. oh, I wish I did let you guess. I'm sorry. That <laughs> came gonna, out too fast. I was going to say Chetumal. Oh, yes, 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 yes. I do think that, yeah, people go to Cancun and they pay all this money for those resorts. But really, you can go down to Chetumal, which is the last city right before the border. It's in Mexico, last city in Mexico, right before the border of Belize. And you can fly in there and then take a bus a little bit north, maybe like 20, 30 minutes north. And there's Bacalar and it's on a seven color lagoon. And it's this amazing place. No one's there because they're all up in Cancun. So it's super cheap. But it's just as beautiful. All right. The next question that we got is, do you have to be rich to travel the world? Oh, you know it. I'm super rich. (laughs) (laughs) You guys laugh. (laughs) No, the answer is no, you don't. If you've been listening to this podcast, which of course you have been, you know that we're not rich people. Like we're, we're comfortable. We're not struggling necessarily, but we also really maximize our trips to get the most for the least and have been able to manage some very reasonably priced trips that are amazing. China was a very reasonably priced trip. So was Lebanon. It's really all about where you place value. You're going to spend money where you find value. So, you know, I would encourage you to take a look at your expenses and see how much money you're spending on alcohol or eating out. And I'm not hating because I love to eat out and I love alcohol. Oh, yeah. But (laughs) if you look to see how much you're spending versus how much it would cost, you can see that you can make a little bit of a balance or some changes. Another thing, too, is people are so quick to say, oh, I don't do that. It's too expensive. And if you are the person who asked us if you have to be rich, I would encourage you to do the research on how much it costs to do the trip that you want. And you'll probably find out that if you do your research and look for deals and whatnot, it's not going to be as much as you really think it is. Very well said. All right. That's all we have for you this week. Thank you for tuning into this week's episode. To keep the adventures going, please be sure to follow us on Instagram at Travel Squad Podcast and tag us in all of your adventures. And of course, send us in those questions of the week. And if you found the information in this episode to be useful, thought we were just plain funny or life-changing, please share it with a friend that would enjoy it too. Please subscribe, rate and review our podcast and tune in every Travel Tuesday for new episodes. I'm super excited for next week because next week we are staying in our backyard exploring it. So make sure to pack your bags and your hiking gear because we are going to share with you the must-do hikes in San Diego. Oh, yeah. San Diego. Bye, everybody. Bye. Bye.